0: to be you is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way.
1: Didn't heck find
0: the just you is supportive. I'm in love with could you. make me be true.
1: Snap out of it! the
0: could magnificence make me that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. Lip from within, Tracy it had to be you wonderful you it had to be you hello romantics welcome to a pot to be you the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen i'm your host manish mother and i'm extremely excited to uh bring back i think one of my earliest guests from way back in 2019 alex marcus how are you i'm good how are you manish i'm so happy to be back I, I'm I'm doing well. I'm really happy to have you back. It's been a long time coming. I've been like, uh, I think during my like extended hiatus, I had like a whole list of guests that I wanted to bring back, and of course you were on the list. So I'm really glad you're here talking about a movie that I know you love a lot and is quite beloved, um, which is uh, 2000s in the mood for love.
1: Yes, I I feel like we waited for just the right time so that we could discuss one of the best films of all time. So definitely worth the wait. Yeah. Uh,
0: So this is uh, Wong Kar-wai's masterpiece, or one of his many masterpieces, I I should say, starring, of course, Maggie Chung and Tony Leung. Um, And yeah, 2000 film. I I think... You know uh this is one of those movies for me that existed as a title before i ever saw it you know it's like one of those where it's like oh in the mood for love it's a movie that everyone's talking about you know and Wong car of course is one of those guys that you know everyone kind of has everyone kind of lands at his doorstep you know when they go into looking at like international film art house film classic film uh and this was, yeah, I think this is the for my first long car wide movie way back. I think I saw this for the first time like ten years ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear kind of your, um, well, because I know I think I, you know, all the years are slip, kind of blending each other. But I think it was last year that you went through. All of Wong Kar Wai, or was that this year?
1: It was, yeah, it was last year. I yeah. actually had to double
0: check too, because I was like, was that last year? Was that the year before? It's like, but you went through the entire, um, is it his whole filmography or just like his? The, yep, his everything? entire filmography. Okay. Yep. So kind of before we get to In the Wood for Love specifically, I would love to just hear about your history with Wong Kar Wai, kind of your impressions were before you went through the whole project and after and sort of, you know, what, what is it about him that really uh, stands out for you? Yeah, well, he was always,
1: like you said, I mean, he's one of those kind of titans of of like cinema, especially world cinema, especially that kind of like cool indie film fan scene that uh, could be kind of, you know, intimidating uh, mm-hmm. growing up. Because especially like, you know, you come to film, I feel like a lot of people come to film early, like with the sort of fun commercial things that they grew up loving. And then all of a sudden you get to college and you find someone who knows way more about movies than you do. And they're like, Oh my God, you have to see this. You have to see this. You haven't seen this. Oh my God. And so Wong Kar Wai was definitely one of those people for me, where it was kind of like, I want to get to him eventually because he has such an incredible reputation, but it feels kind of intimidating to watch his movies because there's so much kind of, you know, attached to them, so much import to them and in the mood for love. It's definitely one of those things where it was like, Oh, this is, everyone seems to agree. It's one of the best films that was ever made. And I don't know, for me, that can be a little bit, uh, it can make me resistant to watching it at first because it's like, well, mm-hmm. I have to make sure if I'm going to watch this amazing masterpiece, it has to, I can't just watch it randomly on a Tuesday night, right on my laptop. I have right. to make sure that I'm like getting the whole experience and I'm in the right place and everything else. And then finally, and and because of that, I ended up not really watching any of his films the whole time, even like the Grandmaster came out and that was when I was already very involved with like f- watching films. But that movie's release was so weird because there was the kind of American cut that everyone said wasn't as good and you couldn't really yeah. see the natural cut. So. I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to put him in a box, and one day I'm just going to go through and watch all of his movies, and until then, I'm just not going to even try to watch any of them, and yeah. that's what I did, and then, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Criteria Channel was nice enough to put most of his films on their service last summer, and so I decided... That I was gonna go through and watch all of them and find the couple that weren't on criterion and fill in those blanks as well. And I just kind of started from his very first film as Tears go by, and I went all the way through all of his uh, narrative films and also the Hand, which is sort of a uh, about a 40 minute long short that he did for a for a different film project. Um, and i I went through in chronological order and just watched all of them. And it was an incredible experience because the reputation that he had, was, oh, he's just this person who has this incredible ability to express longing and emotional repression on screen. And what I was so surprised by watching his full filmography is that yes, absolutely, and certainly if you've only seen In the Mood for Love, that's going to be your biggest takeaway. But when you look at his filmography overall, he's just incredible at bringing emotion to screen every kind of emotion the certainly the longing and the repression but also just like eroticism and humor and kind of like big exciting musical experiences and just like action and there's just so much kineticism and so much visual style to his films that it really feels like you're just watching a filmmaker using tools that i didn't even know were tools available uh, to to filmmakers before watching some of his movies. So that was the biggest surprise for me. Is that like, yes, he's good at the thing that everyone said he's good at, but he's also good at like seven or eight other things that people don't talk nearly enough about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of his films, I must admit. I, so actually, no, By Blueberry Nights was the first movie I had ever seen of his. That was back before I knew who he was. It was like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure you remember Lincoln Plaza Cinema uh you know RIP. i know <laughs> r.i.p <laughs> um uh I, I saw it there i was like oh wow this is like the new now the apartment movie it's got Nora jones like let's go you know and <laughs> uh you know i haven't seen it since but i'd love to revisit it just because i feel like it, i feel like it's kind of come back around because when that came out it was like not well received but i think like any movie that's not well received it comes back around and everyone loves it so i'd be curious to watch it again um but I I have to admit that I did not really love this movie when I first saw it. I in fact I think I gave it like a two and a half stars in a letterbox. This is like back in like 2012, I think. 201. Wow. So like and, and I think I was just kind of like um I found it kind of boring and I found the like visual design really interesting, but then like it breaks from like I remember thinking that like it it kind of breaks from the premise that I really wanted from it, which is like I wanted it to be, like, more of, like, this contained, small, you know, like, snapshot of this sort of, of of these two characters' lives, rather than have it kind of do the time jumps that it does. And being like, okay, and, like, this, like, newsreel sequence, like, the ending, I was like, I don't get it, like... It wasn't satisfying to me, and you know I was young and stupid, so <laughs> and like i I have to admit that like even when I watched it now i'm like i've I've seen it now three times total, and like I appreciate it more each time, and I really enjoyed it this time, but i i I'm not sure I can really. It's, it, it's it's kind of the annoying position to be in because I'm, like, I understand this is, like, a masterpiece, and I understand that, like, there's something missing in me that's not getting it. Uh-huh. Like, it's not the movie's fault or anything. I just, like, I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it, like, on the big screen or, like, in in a crowd or something because I, I feel like when I watch it at home, like, I don't know. It, it works for me more and more, and I think as I get older and as I watch it more, I'm sure I like it more, but it's just like, I don't know, I that's why I really wanted to talk to you about it, because um, I know you're really passionate about Wong Kar Wai, and really passionate about this film, so I'm like, okay, this is a great chance for you know me to kind of really dig into this movie and really appreciate it more and more. Because, um, you know, for me, it's like, I can get excited about a movie just by talking about it, so I'm like, okay, I should, like, <laughs> I, I really want to talk to you about it, so... Um yeah, I mean, what was your impression like having seen it now? Like this how many has have you seen it? Like what was your impression seeing it like for for this podcast?
1: Yeah, so this is my second time watching it. As I said yeah. last summer was my first and then I'm yeah. watching it again. Um, and I think the thing that always jumps out to me in both of these viewings is just how different it is from what I expected it to be initially, right? Because it's yeah. sold as like one of the greatest love stories of all time in cinema. Like it's achingly beautiful. Right. And it certainly is that in some ways. But what you think you're going to get when you hear that reputation is this like incredible sort of like love affair, right? Even a sexless passion, like love affair that's of repression where they can't actually consummate the relationship, but it's like so overwhelming and 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 that's just not what this movie is what this movie is is a relationship about that two people are having on the outside of what is a Beautiful, amazing love affair. Basically, it's kind of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern view of an epic love story, and I think that's so interesting, right? Because what we're, what is really happening is these two people, their spouses, are having an affair with each other, um, and they end up forming a connection in the shadow of that. And this, and the film never gives you anything of that affair, right? You only, you only hear the husband and wife characters um, every so often, you might see the back of their head, but you don't really get a sense of who they are as people. You don't really get a sense of what their relationship is. Instead, they are an absence in the film in such a very specific and interesting way. And the story that we get is, is the people on the sidelines, people who aren't getting to live the glamorous life that is told in the movies. And I just find that fascinating as a choice. And I think it really pays off. It really pays dividends um, in the in the process of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I really do preach that as well. And I think, I remember explicitly thinking, like, way back when, that like, you know, why am I watching the movie about these two people who, like, can't even, like, you know, like, they're so repressed, and they're so um, like, introverted and shy, and they're having this, like, really painful experience. Like, they can't, they, like, well, I've been watching these two and not the people who are actually like, living out this, like, love story, you know, and, like, because I'm, like, finding myself curious. I'm like, okay, but, like, is this just a, like, like, what kind of affair is it? Like, what kind, you know, I'm just trying to, like, I think I'm sort of, like, thinking that, like, why can't I get a sense of, like, more of, like, a plot momentum? And, you know, having seen it now and, like, having developed a taste for movies that, like, don't have a lot of plot momentum and actually finding movies that like kind of are just about like existing to be a little bit more interesting. I definitely see that now. And I appreciate the idea of like, you know, these two people are just kind of like learning to like cope with, you know, what's going on around them and seeing that like their repression, their stops and starts there, all that is just part of their experience. And I, I found that to be really beautiful. And I found that to be kind of a, an interesting take on a love story. I think I was expecting more of a, like, conventional love story which you know of course back then i had no idea who one car white was and yeah you know, sure. i didn't you know i didn't know that this is like he doesn't do conventional um <laughs> but i was kind of like oh maybe they'll fall in love and that's part of the interest that's like kind of this love story but i like i like how you explain it if it's just like they're in the shadow of something else that's happening and kind of like looking at like the repercussions of of this affair
1: yeah and I think something else that's so interesting about um these two characters in particular is they're surrounded by people who they view as as less than them in some way right mm-hmm. like um Tony Long's character has this friend who's like an older man who's like very kind of like horny and talking about wanting to date every, like sleep with everybody and like going to brothels and stuff and the uh, and like the counterpart that uh, Maggie Cheng's character Cheng's character has is uh, the the her boss, right, who is engaged in an affair, right? And we know that from the beginning when mm-hmm. she's asking her husband, like, oh, can you get me two of this, of the pocketbooks? And she, he's like, well, why do you need two? And she's like, you know why he needs two. And it's like, because he has, he needs one for his wife and one for his mistress, right? Yeah. And there's this sort of, like, I'm like not in a kind of elitist way, but just in a sort of like I am a I am not going to lower myself to my inhibitions and my kind of impulses in the way that these people around me are, and then when they find out that their spouses are engaging in this it kind of it feels like this ultimate betrayal right and it kind of fortifies the idea of like well i'm not like them i don't want to be like them and so they the thing that connects these two people is this sense of not being the kind of person who would do the thing, the 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 affair, right? right? Which then makes it so that they have put themselves in a box where they can't consummate this relationship because it would betray who they are as people and what brought them together as people, even though it would give them so much satisfaction and so much more satisfaction than the the idea of of who they've defined themselves as, right? It's so I think that in addition to being this interesting love story, it really is the sort of meditation on like, what are the the identities that we place on ourselves and how does that end up ultimately limiting us from actually being able to have satisfying experiences in life. Yeah. And I think that's a really kind of powerful observation that this movie makes.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting take. And I, um, I, I really, I really felt like that, um, yeah, I I find more and more uh, as I as I watch this again that like more and more do I really feel that there's like it's not just that these people are like repressed and they like they don't like it's just like the, yeah like I'm seeing it more as an active choice now to be like okay, I really have feelings for this person and I can't consummate it even though like they have a right to they have, you know. And um I really like i really like that the boss and sort of the idea of like getting the identical gifts for the mistress and the wife I thought that was really funny yeah I, I actually think this movie's a lot funnier than i imagined it to be um yes there is there's like I th- may- maybe funny is the wrong word because it's not like know. there's like a lot of like jokes but
1: and there's some more funny moments like, it's
0: more uh, <laughs> i feel like i remember this movie being very like heavy and like serious minded but it's i mean it is very serious it is very heavy it's very dramatic but it's more um it's there's more humor to it there's more it's amusing it's very it's very it's a it's actually a very light movie like i I don't mean that in negative i actually think it's really positive like how it's very um you know it's, it's like airy it's very elegant it's really like um like ethereal kind of comes to mind too as well like it just has this like otherworldly quality to it i think a lot of that has to do with like the music um and that like recurring theme which is like you know it's hard to get out of your head because it's so powerful and um, you know, well, and you so much of like the smoke. movies, so much of the movies,
1: like uh, choreography, their the movement yeah. of the actors and the cuts yeah. of the actual film itself are set to the music in such a way that it feels so. You're just, it's all like, and that's something that's so great about what Wong Kar Wai does is that it's just a fully immersive experience. He is playing with all of your senses and is in full control all the time. So he's using the score. He's using the visual imagery. He's using the editing style. He's using using his actors' close-ups and slight expressions. All of it is moving in concert to create this overwhelming emotional quality and he knows exactly what emotion he wants from you in every single scene and he's going to give it to you and I think that's that's why sometimes it can be funny because there's such an emotional intensity to everything that's happening that when there's even like the slightest bit of humor it just feels like such a relief so it really has a big
0: impact i really felt that strongly with chunking express which i think is my favorite of the ones i've seen which is like only like Mm -hmm. four or five but um i really like chunking express and i know we're not talking about it but um i i really felt that like that like oh that sensory overload is really true with chunking express and that we it's like so visceral it's so musical it's so much about like camera work and editing and all that and um, but, and there's like a lot of momentum to Chunking Express. It's very like, uh, I feel like the movie kind of hops around a bit, which I really like. Um, so yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Chunky Express because I really love that movie. Uh, yeah. California
1: but, dreaming is still in my head. From yeah, when I watched it a year ago. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, one car wise use of music is really effective. You know, the, um, the music for and, like happy together, you know, it, it's, yeah. Um. I remember he, I I read somewhere that he set Happy Together in South America because he wanted to, like, decentralize America as, you know, a sort of, like, unifying country among, like, cinephiles or something like that. <laughs> where he was, like, I, I can't, I don't remember the exact quote. This was back in 2020 that I read this, but it always stuck with me. He was, like, I wanted to do something that's, like, you know, America is just not even like a part of what I'm doing. And so that's why he wanted to have like a South American, uh, I think they're in Argentina. If I recall mm-hmm. correctly, I think so, like yeah. he wanted to have like an Argentinian soundtrack. He wanted to set somewhere else so that like, you know, he's not just cultivating from like American pop culture. Um, and I think that's even true in, in the mood for love with like the, the Kizos, you know, running theme and stuff like that. And um, where it's just like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that he's really smart about the way he uses music, you know, both like the, the score and uh, more like popular songs. I mean, the film is named after a very popular song, um, which I did. I, I don't think I made the connection until I read that online. I thought it was just a coincidence, Um, but you know, he's much smarter than I am. So, but yeah, I really like the use of music in this film and I think it really, that really stood out to me the most when i watched it uh for this podcast
1: yeah yeah i mean criterion as a whole kind of um featurette online uh discussing in detail all of the musical choices that he makes and why yeah. and i feel like you know i think some of that analysis can be a bit over indulgent sure. <laughs> <laughs> but i think that the main takeaway is true which is this that he has in such command of of what he's doing on on this film that he could just he uses it it's like music is so core to what he's doing but like I said, every beat beat that he's hitting is so core to the overall whole. Like from the framing of the shots to the color theory inside of the shots to the actors to the music to all to the choreography to all of it, and I, and especially the editing choice. I think it just it it's just this incredibly immersive experience that you kind of you just slip into. You don't even realize because time is moving so idiosyncratically right it's just these sort of brief snapshots for a really long time of these two people's lives and how they're crossing and intersecting and i just that's another thing i really love about this movie because there's In life, sometimes you meet someone and the first time you meet them, you're like, oh, this is a really important person that is going to make a big impact on my life. Most of the time, that's not how you meet someone, right? Most of the time you meet people five, six times in very mundane, brief context before you even realize that they might be someone that is going to matter to you long term. And I love the way that this movie sets that up, where you're just getting them, they're these neighbors that are, they've both moved in to neighboring apartments or rooms within neighboring apartments, right? And they're just kind of running across each other in daily life every so often. And there's not a kind of, there's no expectation initially. There's not even a real sort of warmth or connection. It's not love at first sight at all, right? (laughs) It's very kind of mundane. And, um, and over time they just keep crossing paths until eventually they realize that they have some common interests and then they realize that they have something else in common that is quite difficult uh which is this affair between their spouses um and then even after that it's so much more of an impressionistic quality to their relationship and one thing another thing that i really like which is a slight uh digression but you know, we talk a lot when we talk about this movie, about how it is this kind of like unconsummated love affair, right? And it's kind of one of the most notorious unconsummated love affairs in all of film, uh, some might say. But what's interesting is, is that they do kind of consummate this relationship, right? They they have this incredible passion for creating something, right? They don't have a sexual relationship, but they do create art, which is a very erotic thing in a certain context, right? Especially in this context uh, where, you know, and we oftentimes see this sort of in a kind of a muse versus a, you know, master setting with like, uh, especially like fine art and stuff, but we have, but it's a similar relationship here where it's, he's a writer, he's kind of, trying to become more as a writer, trying to kind of develop this hobby into something more legitimate and his kind of short stories that he's writing. And she likes to read the stories and kind of uh, has a lot more faculty to writing than I think she initially lets on or maybe even is allowing herself to realize. And they kind of come together to help create Amazing is seemingly really fantastic short stories that uh, he certainly could have, could not have made without her help. And I think that that is a certain consummation, a certain kind of consummation um, in and of itself. And it's treated as such, right? They go to a separate location to this sort of like private. Uh, apartment, office situation, so they could have that privacy. There's a sort of covert, um, illustri- like a kind of a seductive quality to that location, right? It's always like drenched in red and passion and everything. And so it is their version of an affair. And it's very, it's a very interesting thing, and especially for a filmmaker, for someone who writes his own screenplays, the idea that the art of creation could be uh, as powerful and impactful of a experience and expression of love as a sexual relationship is is very interesting to me
0: yes okay Um, you said a lot that i want to touch upon (laughs) sorry Um, no i i appreciate it because i i think you're really opening this movie up to me in a way that i hadn't uh really thought about um, I want to go back to, like, the first section of all these, kind of, like, mundane sort of, like, interactions, or, like, running into each other, all that. Because to me, like, that was, that, that that, that throughout my, you know, three times watching this film, that's always been the most exciting part to me, of this, like, idea. I mean, like, this, it's this romantic, in a sense, of, like, you know, uh, like, having two people in renting rooms and neighboring apartments, and, like, they're just kind of running into, you know, they're just, like, you know, just the ins and outs of me like, you know, it's not love at first sight, but there is that noticing. Um and uh I I just I love that and I really like I really respond to like the first I guess like the first act of the film or the first section, the first half, but I really respond to it. Um and I I really like that. And I I, I love the 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 I guess she's the the landlord or whoever who's like mm-hmm. who was always saying, Oh, like you're so polite. Are you, are you, yes. I think mean, it's like I can't remember what, what does the subtitle say it's like you are both like ex- exceedingly polite or something like that <laughs> something um, like that yeah yeah and uh, I will you know, I, I wish I, I I wish I could like understand that that's like a really how well the translation that is because it's a very funny line but I, I wish I knew what the original line is um in uh in the language but uh yeah I just like love that um I kind of love that section of the film and you know, I, I I like what you because I wanted to talk about sort of like their you know are you know collaborations on on the serials and and stuff like that and because um to me it feels like it's, it's like yeah I really like your take the, uh, on their consummation because it felt like they share an intimacy with each other that they can't really share with their own spouses like I kind of got that sense mm-hmm. of like you know maybe like you know his wife thinks his like interest or childish or maybe like her husband doesn't like um doesn't like give her the space to like create on her own like whatever it is right it's like there's like like sometimes it's always easier to like share with a stranger something that you're like working on rather than yeah. like your own friends and family because like you know your own friends and family they have all this baggage like what they know about you they have a lot of their own biases and prejudices whereas a stranger just like totally like blank slate and I've definitely felt that in this film of like they're I mean not just in their creating together but just like the way they open up to each other the way that their like silences um and their glances have so much meaning because like they're they, they share a connection that I don't think they really share with anyone else you know whether you know whether it's even if it's like their friend or like their boss or whoever their landlady like you just like there's there's because they're such like the virtual strangers with like no connection to each other. It's almost easier for them to have this, you know, intimate bond that they really can't quite name.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. I I think that that is a really, you know, they know each other so well because they are going through the same thing. Yeah. But that's all that they really know about each other. Um, in a certain sense, right? They do, they do kind of in those early interactions do develop some sort of uh, relationship prior to this, but it's very casual and it's what really brings about the connection is the sort of shared trauma that they're both going mm-hmm. through, right? This, yeah. which is so complicated for them both. And I think, you know, it's so funny that it's something that I forgot watching at this time is that some of the major set pieces, if you want to even call them that in this movie are the two spouses uh, like Tony Leung's character and Maggie Cheung's character, trying to act out how their spouses betrayed them, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to imagine what it would have been like for them to do this like how the answering that question like well how could they well what if we put ourselves in that, in this position and try to see how they would have done it maybe we'll be able to gain some insight into who these people are and they that is ultimately a futile experience right there's no way to ever be able to know how this happened or or why really but what they do learn is so much about themselves how how they are defining themselves in contrast to their partners and how that bond is really kind of is, like I said earlier, it's so limiting to them, right? Because they are being defined by what they wouldn't do instead of what they want to do. And that's just so so sad when you think about how powerful their connection ends up being that they can't go beyond that because it's it's sort of like a Shakespearean tragedy almost, right? right? Like the inciting incident is what will be their undoing, right? They can't consummate the relationship. They can't move beyond it because it is that connection that was forged in the idea of like, we're not these people. Let's imagine what these people might be like. We can't even fully do that justice because we're not these people. And yet we're forming a connection of our own. And it's so meaningful and beyond our expectations and surprising. It's just such a, it's such a novel idea for a film. I just really was not expecting that to be what this story would be given its reputation. And I think it's really, when you have a movie that's such a huge, giant classic like this, to be surprised by it is just such a treat,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think part of it is that this movie is just very hard to... I mean, I know we're on a podcast about it, um, but it's kind of <laughs> hard to put into words, right? Because this movie is almost all, uh, it's all emotion. It's all visual. It's all um, what's like unsaid. And and even in that, in those sequences, um, you know, you, you make the point that it's futile because they can't ever know. I think that's really true. And I think that's what makes that, what makes this film so, beautiful and so haunting and, and so uh tragic is that they really can't know. And so they're just sort of left with these questions that, you know, they don't have an answer to. And um I think what I um I I think what what I really take away from like the way this story is told is that there's a lot of empathy in this film. And you know, you're the expert on one car why. So like is mm. uh, I I <laughs> At least on this podcast, you definitely are. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I want to say that he's a very empathetic filmmaker in general. But I and just has a lot of open-hearted emotion because I feel like this movie because it kind of lacks this sort of like melodrama of like I mean you know, I hate to use that I hate to use melodrama as as a pejorative but like he doesn't have like the theatricality of like any big confrontations or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the idea for him is that like, it's more empathetic just to like, try to understand and like connect. And I, I is that, it's, do you think that holds true across his filmography or is this an outlier?
1: So I think that he does not judge his characters. He tries to understand them. I think that that is definitely true. Yeah, I think it's interesting to say that about this movie though, because, you know, it's such a choice to not show us the spouses at all right Mm -hmm. to have them just be to exist as an absence in the film as they are an absence in these people's lives whether they're in an affair or not right it's not we don't have a sense of like oh well we get to know how they are as as couples but then when the affair starts then we lose track of them because they're off doing their own thing no we really never get a sense of who who their spouses are either to each other or to our main characters and i think that that what that does is it really in a very inventive and innovative and emotionally impactful way gets us to understand intrinsically what those relationships were like right Mm -hmm. why why they would have fallen apart and also why when tony leong and maggie chung's characters Uh, connect why it's so powerful for them because they've had so little connection prior to this, but it is also a little bit, you know, I think it's a little bit judgmental towards those characters, right? It's a little bit, uh, it, it just in the sense of not getting to see them, not getting to see, not letting them be full people. We're actively avoiding the ability to empathize with them in the situation as well. And I don't think that the film treats them as villains, but they certainly don't treat them as as autonomous human beings that we should respect <laughs> and yeah. i think that's very interesting and very distinct from how his films typically treat characters which is oftentimes like he certainly plays around with stock characters especially along the edges of his films uh but there's always this deep reservoir of feeling that he seems to have for his characters and a, and a deep desire to understand them and to let them exist in the world um without the lens uh judging them or interrogating them and i think this movie kind of is is an is an outlier in that regard compared to his other films
0: hmm. yeah that's interesting i um yeah i guess i'm, I'm not I I can see the judgment toward like I guess or like the uh that take on the on the on the couple having the affair. I guess to me I'm just like you know trying to understand your spouse rather than just sort of like getting mad. You know, to me that just is a little bit. It's definitely a more uh thoughtful take on this kind of story and one that I appreciate. Um, it
1: is, but what that's, but that says everything about our main characters and yeah. it says nothing about that. That's true, people. that's
0: true. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, So I want to um, I will say, for you yeah. move
1: on, if yeah. you want a film that's a little bit more melodramatic dealing in this vein, you should definitely see one of his earlier films, Days of Being Wild, because that okay. is a definite melodrama there's lots of yeah. yelling and crying and <laughs> I mean I love <laughs> that is,
0: you know <laughs> it's very
1: it's it's a, it's got a big like tapestry of characters who yeah, are yeah. bouncing against each other and it's it's very it's really interesting to see what he did there and and how he refined it yeah. into yeah. what he does in in the mood
0: for love that is interesting um sorry i was just looking at my uh, some of the things i wanted to touch upon kind of um so I I guess the reason why this movie hasn't really, like, played to me the way that uh, I think it has for everyone else is, like, you know, when they go into, like, Singapore, and then, like, the, you know, the time jump after that, I just feel like, I don't I can't quite understand or, like, grasp sort of, like, that, you know, and just sort of, like, i, I mean, like, I understand it on like a plot level, but to me it just feels like I want to kind of go back to that, you know, nineteen sixty-two Hong Kong you know, part of the film. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. like that's kind of where the film kind of loses me a little. Um, but I would love to kind of hear kind of why that's a wrong take on
1: my part <laughs> well i would never <laughs> say that your take is wrong but what I but i will say that the it's so i think that the ending is a little bit confounding at least when you watch it for the first time in fact i know that like when they were filming this they really didn't have an ending and they kind of came up with the um addition of the cambodia thing yeah. pretty late in the game um yeah. because they were like how do we end this movie and i think part of why it's hard to end this movie is that it's just such a it like you just don't want to leave this space, right? It's so powerful when you're in the middle of it. You don't wanna Yeah and, you're, and the characters don't wanna leave and you don't want to leave either. But I do like the kind of idea of of we move forward in time, right? We see that he has left. She's she then we instead of being in the immediate aftermath of that, we get a couple of years of distance and we get to see that she's okay and she's kind of you know she's she's not living in the in the little room. She has a kid She is trying to create a life for herself. She takes that apartment that she once was living in a room of, and then that sets up a future, uh, a a future epilogue scene where we get to see, and I should say, in that scene where she is considering moving in, we see her for just a brief moment remember recall what that experience two years earlier was like and she looks out a window which presumably right. looks into his apartment even though he's no longer there right, right and and the actress just such just such a great job of letting a million things cross her face at once sure, mm-hmm. um, before pulling it together and that's this nice kind of send-off to her character and then we get a couple years after that he comes by the apartment And trying to kind of recapture something that has been lost, right? We don't really know, but we know there's some sort of nostalgic pull bringing him there, hoping that he'll run into someone maybe. And what he learns is that she has taken this apartment. She's living there alone with her son, which means, of course, she's no longer with her husband, regardless of how that ended up. We see him look towards it towards her apartment. And we don't get to see what he's seeing, but we get to see how he's recalling everything in this moment. And it's a sort of twin kind of ending of of just, they're, they've processed, they've understand that they can't go back in time. Even if they tried to connect to now, it wouldn't be the same as if they had just stayed together then, right? They just, they can't yeah. capture that yeah. lost time. Uh, but they are, but we get to have a sense of how the two characters are remembering it and, and what it means to them. And it's just ultimately positive for both of them, which I think is really beautiful, given that this could feel so tragic, um, in its end. And then the Cambodia thing is like this little kind of like add-on where it kind of pays off a story that he tells in the middle of the movie where he says that like, you know, sometimes when you had a secret and you couldn't share it with anybody, you would kind of like dig a, dig a, a hole in a tree and, and sp- whisper into it and dig it. And then that way it will exist forever. And, yeah. for me, and he does that in this, uh, you know, Cambodian Buddhist temple. And for me, I think what that action and then the shots that Wong Kar has of the temple afterwards is meant to signify is just this idea of like their love, their, that moment in time, it still exists within him. And he's putting it into this timeless sort of, this timeless thing this this temple and it now is kind of like become this timeless romantic experience that will exist forever in this sort of you know isolation of this temple you know it's like that it's comparing their love to this temple in the sort of iconic, timeless way. Like, I think that's kind of, the you idea. Know, that's at least what I take away from it. And I think, you know, it's a kind of, it's a very interesting way to end the movie. It kind of is, is kind of calling his shot of like, this is going to be an important um, moment in, in history, uh, but maybe it's just him trying to say that these people think that that is what their love is, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's, that's kind of my take on how the movie ends.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's very, uh um yeah of course it's it's extremely well reasoned and i I mean I could appreciate the idea of like okay, they each have their own send off and like they each are trying to like maybe not recapture but sort of like process and come to terms and unpack this that experience they had um but I don't know i i just like it's it's kind of this like weird thing, it's kind of like with um this is kind of a really random whole but like in the 2018 a star is born you know like you had the crescendo of the shallow performance and then the rest of the movie is kind of like this like sort of come down to reality and i know like people were like okay you know like the shallow up to the shallow is great and then dealing with the reality is kind of like not as magical and it's kind of like well that's the point and i'm kind of getting the sense that it's something similar here where it's just like you know we they have to come to terms with reality they have to like get back into like um you know like this that one period in time was that one period of time and now it's like they have to like as you say like they're just have to move on they have to like you know having that distance uh, you, know, you have to have it so i i, I appreciate that more now i think I also kind of get wrapped up in like, you know, that first, you know, half of the film or whatever, it's so beautiful. It's so like glamorous. It's so romantic. It's, there's so much longing and glances, you know, you get swept up into like the romanticism of that. And then as the time marches forward and they have to get more distance from it, I, it's like, I know, but I just want to go back to that. Like that, like, not just like that, just like that kind of like visual dynamic, like visual that dynamic visual sense that like the music and all that. I just, I, I guess I'm kind of like, okay, I'm appreciating it more and more um, especially hearing you talk about it. And I, again, I, I think it all makes sense narratively, thematically, but it just like, it just loses me a little, um, but that's, but I really do appreciate uh, kind of your explanation and, and kind of reasoning. Well, and there's so during that ending,
1: there is some text that also flashes across the screen. And one of the, one of the most poignant of which I want to read now, because it really kind of quantifies this idea, right? It says, he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane, the past is something he could see, but not touch. And everything he sees is blurred and indistinct, Mm -hmm. right? And it's this idea of like, what they had was so specific and so meaningful and so powerful, and yet, so it it just dissolves into the ether, right? You can't recapture it. And so instead we have these two moments where these two people at different times are able to reflect in a moment that experience of remembering. And then we get an ending where it is like he gets to build his own private Monument to their love in this timeless temple of 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 knowledge and Mm -hmm. beauty, and it's just I think that there's something really beautiful and poetic to it. It's not like a, it's not the sort of uh, narrative conclusion that I think we expect from a film like this, Mm -hmm. uh, because because this movie is so much like not interested in in narrative closure as much because i don't think real life is giving us narrative closure at all right and so i think we could it's a movie we have to end it somewhere and i think the idea of ending it in this kind of like poetic closure is is a really interesting choice by by him yeah. and i think it but but something i will say is have you seen 2046 no i haven't Okay, so that is kind of a sequel to this movie, um, in that it follows Tony Leung's character in Singapore after the events of the Moon for Love. And I'd be very curious what you think of that film, because in a lot of ways, this movie doesn't have an ending because Wong Kar-wai was already planning on making this follow-up film and so a lot of his ideas of how to end this character get wrapped up into the sequel which i think a lot of people don't even realize is a sequel or many people who love this movie might not even know that 2046 exists you know 2004 about four or five years after uh in the moon for love it's like uh,
0: like an actual like sequel sequel like, not yeah, the spiritual successor. Oh, interesting. No, it's a literal yeah. sequel. It's
1: Tony Long's character in Singapore oh, wow. after Okay, I'm, I'm interested
0: then, because that might, I think, seeing that might kind of recontextualize the ending of In the Mood for Love for me. Uh, I've heard so yeah. much about this movie. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I think I missed uh, the Criterion channel, so I'm kind of waiting for it to reappear there and HBO Max, but um, definitely would love to watch that. Um, it's
1: really similar to in a very uh, unconventional way, it's very similar to before midnight in the sense of following what a character's life is like after they've been swept up in this iconic love story, right? Like how do you then go on and live as a person after that? And I think that those two movies, they answer that question differently, but they have a lot in common in their, in their consideration of what it means to be a person caught up in the aftermath of a a historic love affair that yeah. is built on sand as all love affairs kind of are in this sort of grand sweeping romantic way and uh and it's really interesting because like the answer that long car Wai gives is it kind of it follows him in 60 in the 60s in singapore as this sort of you know serial write, uh, writer living in a in a hotel um just having really dysfunctional relationships with women because he just can't, like nothing is going to live up to the life that he's, that he, that he had, or that he never even had. Right. Cause he had this incredible connection, but that's all it was, was this, this fleeting connection. Right. Right. And then a, and then a big part of the movie is also kind of like following his, like looking at these sort of like far future visions from his writings that he's doing in his little uh, apartment in this hotel. So there's like this sort of like weird, uh, like sci-fi futuristic component to it, but, um, but it's, it's all kind of him working through all of his issues with women as a result of being in love with this woman and never really consummating it and how dysfunctional that was in the moment and how it just has basically ruined him
0: as a person. <laughs> Sounds great. Honestly, yeah. I mean, to that, it's like, it's 2046 related to like a, a year, 2046.
1: It, so it's the it's like the year that his short stories that he's writing in the sixties okay. are set. Oh, so, right. Okay. So there's cool. like this cross. You will cross back and yeah, forth between yeah. his stories that are set in 2046 and the real and like
0: what's okay. happening in his Very life. Very cool. Well, I'm gonna look out for that reappearing somewhere because I, I would love to watch that. Um, yeah, I will. And I will say, having watched that and then watching
1: this film again with that in mind, it has this additive experience of it just really enhances the sort of you know tragedy of what we're watching that as beautiful as it might seem you're watching people just ruin themselves forever basically because they're never gonna they can't connect in this moment and they're creating these sort of like expectations for what they would have what their inner heart wants that can never be replicated with another person and so and so yeah it's just it adds a layer of tragedy to all of it
0: yeah all right
1: yeah I'm, I'm excited to watch that um speaking i will of say that, i am yeah. like more high on 2046 than most people some some people stand up for it other people think it's kind of like a mixed bag i think it's his it's my number two on my rankings of wong Y films it's my second yeah. favorite i
0: think it's i think it's really really interesting Is um in the mood for love your favorite then
1: it is or, yeah
0: okay I've, yeah, I mean, I, I think to to hear you talk about this film is 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 really really exciting. I think recontextualizes a lot of uh, my kind of I don't want to say issues with it, but just sort of my 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 uh, hangups, I guess I'll say. Um, you know, I we haven't really talked about you know Maggie Chung or Tony Lung as as performers, but you know they're both such uh, incredible actors in this film and in all their work but um, yeah any i mean i'm sure you agree but any thoughts on the performances here
1: i mean it's there are two performances that are just hard for me personally to talk about because they're just so incredible like it's just like it's so understated what they do, the way yeah. that they're able, what they're able to communicate with just a passing glance is just, is more than most actors are able to communicate uh, with like a 10 page monologue. Right. You know, it's just like the, the amount of subtlety in their work and how impactful that subtlety is, is just really transcendent. I think a lot of people have this idea of like, Oh, it's like this repressed love story. So it must be really boring because like nothing ever happens, but it's like the actors as much as anything else are able to sell just like the incredible exchange of emotions and connections that are on on display just through their, just through their passing glances and through their, their looks and connections. And when they don't look at each other, when they do look at each other, like there's just such a presence and such an incredible chemistry between the two of them that it's just, I mean, I think that they're two of the most timeless performances in film in a lot of ways, because they're just, it's just iconic. Like there's no other way to describe it
0: yeah Uh, I really agree and I think few actors do this kind of I mean I think they both really do this kind of performance really well Uh, I'm more familiar with uh, Tony Leung so uh, I feel like he I think even in you know our favorite Shang-Chi he's this like longing (laughs) romantic tragic hero and I'm just like i mean is shang chi a, a romance film like <laughs> i'm like this is the you know this is the sequel that it is know, this, this is what happened wanted. when he went this to singapore he became a yeah. warlord <laughs> i mean honestly um i feel like a lot of a lot of cinephiles are gonna hate that i just compared this one to shang chi but you know we all know that's the best phase four film um anyway <laughs> um I, uh, yeah, I just would love to hear any kind of final thoughts you have on the film, like any thing we didn't really bring up or kind of like your standout moments or, or lines or um, or scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, so when you're talking about the comedy
1: and tragedy mixing together, there's that whole sequence where she visits him uh, at her, at his apartment in his in his room to kind of return uh like some reading materials and to help him work on his story and then his his landlords show up unexpectedly and they have a mahjong tournament that uh lasts an absurd amount of time and she yeah. gets stuck there and and she can't leave because if she leaves then they'll know that she's there and so she's little will we'll wait until they go to bed and they they play all through the night into the morning and they're getting subs coming in it's like insane that whole thing is it's very funny Um, But also kind of like a microcosm of everything that's going on between them, right? Like they're so afraid of of like the shame and the consequence of what could come that they literally both call out of work and just lock themselves in a tiny room for what has to be like 36 hours, basically, by the time it's all said and done. And it just is like a testament to these two characters. You're just like, just, just be together. Just do something. You're just, you're so, you're just so, imp- it's just so impossible for them to move. They're just locked into place that they're literally in this tiny room, like to the point where like, she literally never even takes off her shoes. And then when she gets home to her own apartment, she finally takes her shoes off. And there's just a sense of like, oh my God, finally, because they don't have that intimacy yet. And like later in the film, she will take her shoes off in front of him. And that is like a level of intimacy that they're finally work up to. But it's, I think that is a really fun set piece that kind of just hits all of the beats of this movie all in like one fell swoop
0: yeah yeah i i really like that part as well and i think you know, the shoes thing you mentioned it's a really great example of like how this movie really captures these like really minuscule details you know and mm-hmm. yeah noticing that like when she finally takes her shoes off you're like oh wow this actually means something you know it's not it's not yeah. just a throwaway thing i i think for me like one thing that i don't well we we touched upon, but I wanted to kind of bring up again it's sort of the color palette of this film like we talked about the reds, but I think I mean the costume design of this film is just so gorgeous, and um the the colors are just so evocative and and so vibrant and you know uh we kind of live in like a, a very color free I mean I, I don't i don't, I hate being this guy, but like. You know, obviously, I, I think a lot of new films kind of just don't take chances with, like, big, vibrant colors. Uh, a lot, I mean, a lot of them don't. And we definitely don't get movies like this at all, in Hollywood especially. But um, I think that it's just, like, you know, to see this movie kind of really pop, you know, even on streaming, which is, like, lower qualities, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, and I, that's that's true yeah. of all of his films. Like, yeah. the way his use of
1: color is just as important as any other element in the way that he composes a scene, the way that he composes a shot. And it's just like, no one uses color the way he does. Like the, just like the vibrancy of certain moments, the des- desaturation of certain moments, the sort of like what the symbolism of those colors represent, just the impact that they have on you as a viewer throughout. It just, no one is using it the way that he does. It really made me, it opened, watching all of his films so close together really opened my eyes to just how limited we often are when we are exploring cinema. Like there's so much more you can do with the art form that people just aren't taking advantage of. And it's not just it's not just that this film has bold color. It has it uses color as a storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it it adds to that visual storytelling that that he's so great at. And depending on what movie he's making, depending on what scene he's making, he's using his understanding of color to his advantage every single time. And that's just like Yeah it's great when you get it when you get that opportunity for a filmmaker to remind you that like, oh, you could
0: actually do this also, you know, on top of everything else. Yeah. It's like these are all the tools you have uh in your pocket. I think, you know, what's interesting is like you know, it's, it's not, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not just that he uses color, like vibrant colors, whatever. It's like the colors have like a thematic purpose and not only that, but I mean, even a color like red, which does, I think, it's not that red gets overused, but like if any time you need a movie for a color to pop, like red is probably a color that, that, that they're going to use. And, but even in this film, like there's such a like uh, texture, to to the reds and the oranges and, and the pink, you know, and all that. And and you know, I um I feel like Happy Together was really good with like greens and browns, if I recall correctly. And I think mm-hmm. Chunking Express also had a really kind of like chaotic color design. Um so it's just like I, it feels like he like really thinks about like which color can be the highlight for each film and that like there it's like um And so it's like not only are the like the use of is the use of red in this film really vibrant, but it's like when there isn't red on screen, that means something too. Like you feel the absence of it. Um, I want to give a shout out to cinematographer uh, Christopher Doyle, worked with Wong Kar Wai many, many times. Um, Also, this film had like a co-cinematographer, or they they had two cinematographers. Also, a a a Thai cinematographer named um, Make sure I got his name right, Mark Lee Ping Bing. Uh, I'm not quite sure like what uh, they're both listed as cinematographers and they both seem to have been uh, like named and, and lauded for their work. So I'm not quite sure what um, kind of like why there's two, if they work together or if one took over for the other. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. So, but I, I, you know, they both really did incredible work and Christopher Doyle obviously is someone that's very well known here in the West Um and so, uh, yeah, just wanted to give them both—I I, give them both a shout out by name. Yeah, and he's responsible for a lot of the cinematography in in
1: Wong Kar Wai's films. Yeah. I think at a, I think they had a falling out at a certain point, and they're no longer collaborators. But for a lot, like he's. <laughs> He is a major collaborator for some of his most iconic if I long, recall, most iconic works
0: if I recall correctly from a blink check episode I don't think Christopher Doyle is like the nicest person so. no I, I think that that is his reputation that
1: he's a bit hard to work with
0: yeah right? and like <laughs> euphemistically <laughs> yeah I, I feel like there was like kind of a somewhat racist story that they told on on blink check but I don't recall I didn't think about that. Just, I just remember the name being like, Oh, Christopher Doyle. Okay. Um, all right. Any kind of like closing thoughts on the film before we finish up here?
1: Well, my clothing thoughts on the film is that all of the all of the costuming is just incredible. Like, I'm not a huge fashion guy, but like, yeah, the, the dresses and the suits and everything that these these people have on are just like, inc- just incredible. Like, it just looks amazing and beautiful and like, not the most comfortable clothing, probably, but some of the most amazing looking <laughs> clothing that you've ever seen on film.
0: yeah. Very tightly
1: tailored um, dresses and suits.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta love the um yeah. Just like the way that these clothes like drape Baggy Chung, you know, and yeah. like the way like her sleeves, I mean everything is just great. Um yeah, I yeah, I I'm sorry. I don't know if I said clothing or closing. Sorry. You no, you said closing, and I okay. <laughs> went for the pun. I, I love that. No, it. that's great. That's great. <laughs> um, and I, I think let's let's end on that wonderful pun because it's so perfectly <laughs> you, Alex. This is this is why why you're here. Um, but thank you so much for being here, talking about this wonderful film. I think yeah. I have a lot uh to think about as I watch it again because I'm sure I will. Um I definitely would did not want to come on this podcast being like I hate this movie, <laughs> you know, like let's trash it. So I, mean, I I can't hear being like I know that like there's something that I'm not getting with this movie and I want to appreciate it on the level. And I, mm-hmm. I appreciate you taking your time to really help me um contextualize some of the things that I kind of always had a little bit a concern a little bit of concern about. So Thank you so much. Um, I know you are I'm doing so happy. a lot. Oh yeah. No, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm s-
1: yeah. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm glad that I could, you know, contribute to your film education. I'm just gonna, <laughs> gonna charge <laughs> you for like one tuition. That's fine. Uh, one That's semester fine. of tuition no, for no, film we, school.
0: You know, I we we pay we pay educators on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know you're doing a lot. You have a lot of different projects kind of running simultaneously. Uh, yeah, please tell the listeners where they can find you, what you're working on kind of what how many i don't know how many hats you're wearing because you're you're doing too many everything. hats too many hats it's just too <laughs> too many hats um so the easiest way to
1: follow all of myself is to follow me on twitter at media thinkings uh you can also follow me on letterboxd at media thinkings where you could see my full ranking of one car wise films if that's something that you're interested in uh you can also follow my work as the pot as thepotbreak.com's podcast editor uh, by going over to thepotbreak.com and clicking on the podcast tab. Uh, I host two podcasts over there. I host a monthly uh, TV podcast uh, called The Breakcast. Uh, You can subscribe to Potbreak TV to listen to that. Um, It's sort of the kind that we do news, we do reviews, we do uh, industry stuff. We follow, we decide who's the best streamer of the month. It's all all fun stuff over there. Um, Over on the Breakcast uh, podcast feed, Once a month, I am charting with my friend and Pop Break Editor-in-Chief, Bill Bodkin, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've been watching three or four films or event series a month uh, since January, uh, and we will have watched the entire thing uh, by the time uh, we get to December, when we give out all of our awards for the first four phases in the MCU. So, you can definitely check that out over um, on the broadcasts. Uh, and like I said, easiest way to find all that stuff is just go on thepodbreak.com and click on podcasts. Yes, a lot of good
0: stuff there. Huge fan. Also.
1: Also, I am a host of Cinema Joes at Cinema Joes on Twitter, which is a bi weekly uh, podcast all about film, with, which Manish has been on many times and will be uh, joining us again a couple of times for the years out. So definitely look for him over there with us.
0: Yes i huge fan of Bill versus MCU and of course Cinema Joes. You guys have been really kind to have me on. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Vertigate314. Uh, also, please follow the podcast at Review. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show to help people find it. Alex, thank you again. It's been it's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm really glad it could be about this really special film you know it's um yeah i love talking to people who they love so it's really really great to have you here thank you
1: yes thank you for having me here i was on to talk about um the broadcast news news. so i think next time it has to be one where the relationships actually are (laughs) yeah
0: i know honestly um we you know we love a sad ending and we love a bittersweet ending uh but yeah, we just get like a, a traditional rom com here with people that actually like kiss, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again.